BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. to episode 115 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a U.S. Latino show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. This week on the show, I discussed the 2019 upfronts with Michael Malone from Broadcasting Cable Magazine, and I reviewed the third installment of the John Wick series with film and culture critic Mike Sargent. But before I begin with Michael Malone and the upfronts, it's time to give you our weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call... Jacked in. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Venezuelan actor Edgar Ramirez joined Sebastian Stan in the spy thriller 355. Chris Rock teams with Lionsgate to relaunch the horror classic Saw franchise. Netflix Will Smith and Queen Latifah team up on a hip-hop musical film. Halloween director John Carpenter wants to direct again. And Bill Murray says he's willing to appear in Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters 3. In TV news, Eugenio Derbez joins the voice cast of Nickelodeon's The Casa Grandes. Avengers Endgame, Game of Thrones, documentary RBG lead the MTV Movie and TV Awards nominations. Black Mirror returns with its much-anticipated fifth season on Wednesday, June 5th, exclusively on Netflix. CW is open to another Jane the Virgin spinoff. Fox will end Empire after season six. Billy Bush returns to TV to anchor the new version of Extra this fall, while Mario Lopez will be headed to Axis Hollywood. And NBC's and Telemundo's Consumer 101 has been picked up for season two. Switching over to music, Pitbull performed at Telemundo's After Party Upfront. Demi Lovato hires Justin Bieber's manager Scooter Braun. Woodstock 50th Anniversary Festival is happening. Daddy Yankee joins Univision's Reina de la Canción as executive producer. Rolling Stone's announced the reschedule No Filter Tour, and Maluma was a guest on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And in tech and social media news, Spotify is using its new Anchor podcast app to beat Apple. Google is launching YouTube on the Oculus Quest. Sprint's first 5G phone will ship on May 31st. People are using Snapchat for Instagram and Twitter content, and Bernie Sanders becomes the latest 2020 candidate to call for a Facebook breakup. New York is once again the meeting ground for The Upfronts, an annual event between television networks and advertisers where the networks put on a song and pony show for advertisers to spend money on their new slate of programming. Here to help me discuss the 2019 TV Upfronts is Michael Malone from Broadcasting Cable Magazine. Michael, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Happy to, to not be at an upfront meeting right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> hey, you know, I always thought that going to the upfronts was kind of cool. But, you know, from the people that actually go there every single year, you I've heard for years that the upfronts can become a drag. Is that true? Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't knock them because they are important and they are entertaining. Uh, it, it's just an awful lot in one week. Um, when you get to this point of the week, you're just looking forward to the weekend. It's it's. It's grueling. It's uh, it's very, very tiring, uh, but it ends eventually, and then it's the industry's kind of quiet for a bit, so I'm happy to cover them. How long have you been covering Upfronts, Michael? Oh, boy, probably uh, five, six years now. 
And how has the upfronts changed over those last five, six years? I feel like a lot of the meetings have gotten longer. Um, not so much with uh, the Spanish language networks, but if you look at uh, Disney acquiring some key Fox assets, uh, you look at NBC Universal getting bigger and bigger, that they, they kind of want to fit everybody in. And what used to be an hour and a half about a broadcast network now might be two hours or, or even more about. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. Let's begin with Telemundo and, Un and the Univision upfront. Um, I know you had a chance to uh, see it. You did some scoops on it. You wrote something on it for Broadcasting Cable Magazine. Uh, what were your key takeaways from what was presented? Well, for uh, Univision, uh, they talked about relaunching their Unimas network and really having Unimas focused on live stuff. Um, That's an interesting was, take, huh? It, it is. It is. I, it, broadcast is more and more about live events uh, because that's what it can offer that maybe the streaming guys don't do quite as well. So uh, they're doubling down in a lot of ways. And uh, Unamas debuted a 10 p.m. newscast just uh, on Monday this week. Um, and uh, what else? Um, Univision has a matchmaking reality show that will be on two hours a night that starts in the fall that's called uh in a Maran in a Marandos. i actually i believe that's a, a unimas one uh but all, right. all part of univision so this is like a love island like a bachelorette type of show uh that's kind of what it looks like yeah they, they were uh quick to not kind of lump it in with with uh, reality shows that we know that are of that ilk, uh, but they said it was about finding your your lifelong match, and mm -hmm. uh, and they're going to help. What did you see that you liked in particular that caught your attention? I, you know, one thing that caught my eye: uh, a new series called El Dragon. Um, it comes from Arturo Perez Reverte. Oh, that's he, the guy who did La Reina del Sur. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a, a series for Univision, and obviously he. Uh, produce La Reina for Telemundo and he's got a gigantic hit with that. Um, but, uh, a new series from him. And, uh, as we know, uh, dragons are, are playing pretty well on TV these days. So very curious to see how that comes together. I've always found it interesting to, after Vince Sandusky, the CEO came in that he really took the network to almost back to the eighties, back to the nineties, you know, where it was just a Spanish language network and everything, the progress that was doing, the U.S. Latino-ness that felt that was approaching the network, that they were going to be the home for all Hispanics, English-speaking or just Spanish-speaking. And that was going to be like the main hub. And they've kind of just knocked that down, said, look, we're, we're not U.S. Latino programmers. We've, we've understood that. We're going to go back to what we do, the Spanish language. One. And now Unimas, with the live sort of, programming that they want to do can be now a direct competitor to their own univision network how does that even work yeah no it's it's a, a interesting point uh it's it's a, a wonderful luxury to have that second network such as unimas where you can target it a little bit differently than than the main one but yeah in terms of uh the main one it, the idea is Broadcast TV is big and broad and appeals to, <laughs> if not everybody, at least most of them in some way, some ways. And uh, it, it's um, 
a pretty unique strategy in this day and age, as, as you said, with so much fragmentation going on to really kind of play big and try to get everybody under the tent. Then there's Telemundo, which I have always thought that since its inception uh, has always been the more progressive, the more bold, the more audacious sort of network. Uh, what did you see from them? And was there anything that caught your eye? Um, yeah, they are doing a um, their version of The Wall. Uh, the Wall is a primetime game show on NBC. Um, so they're going to give that a shot. Um, also doing a spinoff of, and please pardon my pronunciation. I, I'm not a, a Spanish speaker, unfortunately. <laughs> no problems. <laughs> not, not yet, anyway. Uh, but they're doing a spinoff of Sin, Sinos Hey Parezo uh, called El Final del Parezo. Again, total apologies for the pronunciation. Yeah, this is the third uh, chapter of the Sin Senos franchise. Okay, okay. So uh, a, a well-regarded uh, franchise there, and we'll see how the, the, uh, the spinoff does for that one. There was one called Operación something, and what I liked about that one in particular was that it was a military show almost, but instead of okay. having a man front it on a military level, it was a woman. And this one in particular I thought was really interesting because we've never seen military women in TV shows. Do you think that something like that works overall, whether it's in English or Spanish? I, I think it could. It's, um, it's a point that... Um Univision did talk about uh, Jessica Rodriguez, president of entertainment, talked about, quote, celebrating the everyday woman and, and kind of easing away from the traditional novellas. So uh, they are very much focused on on kind of showing a different side of, of women today. Broadcast seems to be on its last legs. I know we're in transition, Michael, but yep. so far, who do you think is winning the race right now? Broadcast, cable or streaming? Streaming clearly has the buzz. Um, broadcast, it, it's just hard to discuss a broadcast show with anybody under 40, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> it's like talking about Walkmans, right? <laughs> As yeah, to... <laughs> yeah. I, I, although my, my children did watch Survivor, the, the finale of Survivor last night. Uh, but it's, it's not targeted toward that audience. Uh, but broadcast still gets big audiences together all at the same time which which the streamers just can't boast of uh this this notion of day and date scheduling is not necessarily super uh user friendly but uh for those that kind of grew up on it 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 can make for event viewing it can make for people huddled around the water cooler or the copier the next day chatting about the episode the night before. So broadcast still has that unique proposition to advertisers and, and to its audience as well. After this upfront, do you think that there's going to be too many streaming services? And do you think it's going to work? You know, for me, it seems like it's going to become the same problem that cable was. It's just too many channels and you're paying way too much money for channels you don't even watch. Uh, do you think that this template of the way Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, uh, you think that's going to ultimately be the way we watch TV or we're going to have some sort of hybrid of everything? You have to believe that we will just be clicking on our apps down the road. When that mm. happens, I don't know. But it, I, I did see this week when the big networks were doing their presentations, there was a lot of talk about upcoming streaming platforms and CBS already has theirs out and done. But uh Warner Media was talking about one for TBS and TNT and their networks, and uh, NBC's got one coming. So uh, 
you, you do wonder. I and some of them are will be free, some will not be free. Uh, but you wonder how many we will choose to to click on and and watch down the road. We'll see. You know, there's a lot of media companies, and I noticed that NBC did this a few years ago. They sort of kind of introduced the concept where they've been consolidating their upfront events into like one single event with all of their networks. Each network used to have their own upfront. Now they're just putting it all together in one single experience, which can make it a little longer and, and, and times from those specific networks might be dwindled down to maybe even a few minutes, uh, which then brings me to the following point. Do you think that upfronts are becoming obsolete because they don't seem like they're necessarily a must thing to do. Do the CMOs even go? Is it a waste of time and resources while people are getting laid off? It's it's an interesting point. I, I, I don't think they're obsolete. I, I think they still have a key role in the ecosystem of the television business and uh, th these theaters were full this week. Um, you, you really could not find an open seat. So are they what they used to be? No, clearly not. Are our TV broadcast ratings what they used to be? Clearly not. They're falling every day, but it, it's still an elemental part of, of uh, the business cycle for television. And uh, I, I did do a story on that recently and spoke with um, the CEO of Promax, a mm -hmm. TV marketing association, a guy named Steve Kazanjian. And he said, the upfronts are still critical to creating buzz, a buzz for your network, buzz for your new show. Um, it's still a giant audience of influencers and, and you got you got their attention. It's on you to make a good sell to them. What do you think is the future of the upfronts? Is interesting. Um, will they be around forever? No, probably not. But I just don't see a day when they disappear because for that to happen, it's got to be one network that says, hey, we're not doing them this year um and they'll have to come up with another strategy and i just don't know that any network is really in a position to take a big swing like that and and without knowing what what the downside is so uh it's it, networks tend to kind of do what everybody else is doing and if they're all doing their upfront presentation then you'd probably be remiss to not be part of that you know it's interesting that you say all this because back in 2008 around the recession maybe 2010 mm -hmm. Jeb Zucker, while he was the chairman of NBC, uh, said that he was going to be the first one to not do an upfront that year. Yeah. And I think that other networks sort of followed. And what they did instead of having a, the big bash is that they decided to go on tour. So instead of having the advertisers come to them, they were individually going to go to each advertiser and kind of do a, you know, the, the, the pony and, and dance show. For all of them, um, that didn't seem to work. So eliminating it all together doesn't seem to work. And maybe there's going to be a tweaking of this upfront, kind of like you said. So far, you've been going to a lot of most of the uh, upfronts. Who are the winners and the losers? Who are the ones that you think did it right? And who are the ones that sort of, you know, didn't uh, match or exceed expectations? Hmm. That's a good question. Um I, I thought, even though it was big and long, I, I thought NBC Universal did a pretty good job of fitting so many networks into a show that ran for, I'm not sure the exact time, but eight, under two hours, I think. Um, and Radio City is a great setting, and uh, they were able to uh, get an awful lot in. And again, it wasn't short, but uh, it could have been a lot longer. Um, so I thought that was 
successful. Um, I felt Disney's was just too long and it's their first year of having FX and having Nat Geo, these assets they got in, in the deal with Fox. Uh, so that they would probably be wise, in my opinion, to maybe shrink that down a little bit next year. And I liked what uh, what Univision did, where it was uh, three separate events, not, not giant events, but three separate ones at a, a not a grand theater, but a center of 415 in Manhattan, where it was a presentation from the CEO, from the ad sales chief, entertainment chief and, and the sports guy. And then after that, it was on to these what they call experiential experiential uh, booths where you could check out what's going on in sports, what's going on in news, whatever else is within the uh, Univision world, um, and just kind of have a, a drink, have something to eat, and kind of take it in at your own speed. Uh, that seems like that might be a model for the future. Telemundo doesn't do an upfront anymore. They do a press conference, uh, which I had a chance to see uh, as well, but... Do you think that not having a physical single upfront event for Telemundo is hurting them in their competition with the uh, Univision? Uh, hard to say. I, it, Telemundo did have a presence in the NBCU presentation, and it wasn't a long one, but it was Luis Fonsi. It was Kate Del Castillo from La Reina. Uh, so they, they were, uh, they did turn up there, and then they, they did have an event. Uh, with Pitbull at, at Hammerstein Ballroom Monday evening. So they, it wasn't a sales pitch, but they were able to at least get their um, their clients together and, and feed them and pour them a drink and, and let them groove a bit to Pitbull. So uh, yeah, they were well represented this week, I thought. So, Michael, out of all the programming that was kind of thrown at you in this last week uh, so far, was there a particular show that you went, okay, I need to see that show. I need to hunker down and just binge on that show. Huh. I did think that that El Dragon series looked interesting. Um, CBS looked like it had some funny comedies. Uh, a new one with Patricia Heaton going to medical school and becoming a doctor after a, a career of teaching. That, that looked like <laughs> okay, that looks like fun. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it had a bit of promise to it. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. It's kind of fun to almost have a front row seat to how the media is transitioning from what it used to be to what it is now, isn't it? Uh, it definitely is, yeah. And and the thing about television, everybody I know watches it. Everybody I know talks about it. So it, it is fun to uh, see these these shows when they're just uh, seeds being planted in the ground and, and to watch them grow or, or, or not grow, as is often the case. So it, it's fun to watch. Michael Malone from Broadcasting Cable Magazine. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if you want to catch up on what's going on with the upfronts this year, go read Michael's articles on Broadcasting Cable Magazine. Thanks a lot again, Michael. Thanks for having me. That was fun. And before Mike Sargent and I explain why John Wick 3 is a moviegoer's dream action film, here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. So good, Omar Apollo. Quiero Volver, Francisco Victoria. Tuyo es este recuerdo, la 
recuerdo. Urdaneta y soy Emilio. This week, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum comes out in theaters, and uh, Mike Sargent, film and culture critic, is here with me now to uh, discuss it and sort of deconstruct this movie. If it's good, if it's bad, is it better than the others? Mike, what's going on, man? I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm, I've got to tell you, I'm really, because we haven't spoken about this at all, I'm really interested to hear what you think. Well, this movie. Before I tell you anything, you got to tell me. (laughs) So let's set up everybody who has uh, been waiting for John Wick 3. They have questions about it. Maybe there's people that haven't seen uh, the franchise series yet. So let me kind of set it up for you. This is the third installment of the John Wick series, and it's directed by Chad Stahelski, uh, who has done some some movies with uh, Keanu in terms of the choreography of the movements and things like that. It was written by creator Derek Kolstad. He was a screenwriter that had this idea called Scorn. It went to uh, Keanu Reeves. He looked at it and decided to change the name from Scorn to uh, John Wick. And it stars Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne, Asia Kate Dillon. She's the actress from Billions. She plays Taylor Mason. Uh, Angelica Houston and Ian McShane, which is one of my favorite actors uh, right now, either in television or film. So I'll let you know right off the bat, Mike, I thought this was just as good as the last two. I thoroughly enjoyed this, but you and I are going to talk. I want to hear what you have to say about the film, and then I'll let you know my thoughts of why I liked it in particular. Oh, man, I wanted to know what you thought first. Okay, (laughs) all right. So, all right, I'll say this. A couple things, just to, to add to what you were saying before. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, the, the original John Wick was uh, Stahelski's first directorial gig. He had only been, like, a stunt choreographer, you know? So that was his first film. The, the, and he did that with David Leach, who went on to do Deadpool too. So I just want to say that. And one of the things, as you mentioned here, one of the key and signature key things that they did in this film that's original is put action and gunplay together and, right and it wouldn't it had never been like it is in these movies uh so in that sense i think that the action is definitely if you like gunplay and and fighting together this is you know this is nirvana and and, and um, one um, and to interject because i think what you said is so crucial to why this movie is liked by so many people uh the absolutely. training sessions most of the money that goes into John Wick doesn't even go into CGI. This is a movie that doesn't have much CGI. And I think yeah. that's what people are really sort of attracted to it, that uh, much of this trilogy's budget is spent on the training for these scenes. Right. <laughs> and it comes out so well that you're like, oh, it's like a throwback to another era of cinema and filmmaking that I think people really, truly appreciate. 
you know, it's a good point you made there because uh, the thing about Keanu, and it is going to be a bit of a stretch here, but he's so laconic and laid back <laughs> right. that, that he reminds you of like a young Clint Eastwood where it's so just, I casually will kick your ass if you push me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, <laughs> I'm going to casually kick your ass. Exactly. Clint <laughs> would be like, I'm going to have to kick your ass. Whereas, uh, um, you know, Keanu's more like, I'm going to have to kick your ass. You know? So... <laughs> And they're both going to whisper it. You know what I mean? <laughs> very but, few uh, words here by Keanu. Exactly. Very right. few. That, that's what I mean also. He has very little dialogue, a la, like you said, um, even even Stallone's best films, he had very little dialogue. First Blood, he didn't say anything. So I think from that standpoint, it is a throwback to that kind of action where the story moves along. There's a lot of scenes in the movie where, you know, without giving it away, he meets a character and the character's like, what do you want? And he just shows him something and the character understands and we have to understand. And again, there's no dialogue. Am I, am I right? There's barely any dialogue. And what's, what I like about John Wick 3 is that this is the expansion of this underworld mythology that right. is the background, the setting for John Wick's uh, killings, you know, Um it, it 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 shows New York in a very sort of neo noir uh, setting, dark gothic to a certain extent. It reminds me of like Underworld, but you know, in New York City, um, the action is creative. It's innovative, and the act and and, and the violence is just it, it's blood and guts to the point where it almost becomes the thing you go to see this film for. Well, now here's, here's the thing. Okay. It, it, I think it absolutely is the thing you say you go to see this film for it's, it, you know, modern day action has clearly evolved. Uh, choreography is everything. That's what make karate films. You know, anybody that likes martial arts films, it's the choreography. Yep, you right. Love, you know, Jackie Chan, you know, all of that. But at the same time, I do have to say this. I, I enjoyed it. And, and, and you brought up an interesting point because there's going to be a, a a TV series this fall uh, called The Continental. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's about all these assassins and things that go on at the Continental. Which it's a great idea, is, by the way. It is a great idea. And the whole idea, just for those who may or may not have seen the film, like you said, The Continental it, it, it is a centerpiece of all these films because it's a place where assassins go and they can't do their business there. And the whole premise, <laughs> the whole premise of this film is that in the last John Wick, he did do his business there, and now he's excommunicated. Right. So this is all about him, everybody trying to get him, and he's trying to get out uh, or get some help, as it were. My only problem with this film was there was a point in the film where, and again, they had to, you know, they had to bring in, you know, new characters and a different locale to kind of keep it interesting. But, you know, as a, now, you know, I'm a filmmaker and a, and a film critic. And, and so I've studied story structure and I've, you know, I've, I, all the greats I've, I've gone taken the classes or, or work with them. And John Truby is one of these story structure guys for movies, screenplays. A lot of guys come out of there. He says something that's very key to remember when you're making an action film. He says that action can be the death of plot. Because until that fight is resolved, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. So the story stands still a lot of times. And then you're setting up, okay, there's going to be another big fight. Everybody get your guns. More fighting. And, and it's, there's a point where I will say I enjoyed the fighting, but it was almost 
too much fighting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this because I think now, am I making any sense to you? You, you you're, you're making so much sense that I'm about to throw this one down on you. All right, I'm ready. You and I, we're fans, we're moviegoers ourselves, but we're also critics. And yes. what we're supposed to do is kind of have these conversations that maybe uh, a regular person that 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 is just a moviegoer and is not a frequent moviegoer goes maybe three times a year, uh, doesn't criticize, critique films in any way. That person probably has a whole different perspective on the viewing of this film. Now, let me explain. I wrote on Twitter the uh, other day that I don't know if I can ever watch another movie with critics again. There's mm. barely any emotional enthusiasm. 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 It I lasts. know what you're talking about. I agree with you. And you had said this too, where yes, definitely. I think it's time that critics might maybe kind of sneak in and start watching these movies with regular moviegoers. Everything you told me in terms of plot, not you know lacking in this film compared to maybe the other ones. Etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that the action is really sort of almost overwhelming in this film. Everybody in there was gasping, ooing, eyeing, oh. clapping, applauding. Because oh, you went with a promo audience. I went to yes. a promo screening. So there's press screenings. For those of you who don't know how, how the screenings work, critics are invited to press screenings. So when you go to these screenings, it's mostly other press people who are jaded, who watch five movies a week. So, right, they said they were their arms folded. Exactly, just like, let this end so I can go home. Uh, for the promo screenings, which are promotional screenings for regular people to kind of just then see the movie and then tell their friends all about it, they call but, but it But wait, not, not, not just regular people. Let me, let me add to that to say uh, the target audience. Or the, exactly, the target audience. And in this particular case, I went to a Hispanic one, a, a, mm. a Latino promo screening. Oh, man, I should have been there. Bro, it was <laughs> so much fun because every joke, every punchline, every oh, one-liner, wow. it was See? a collective laughter. It was See? a collective gasp. It was a... Once again, See? this is why you have to go see movies. At least film critics cannot see these movies with other film critics. They got to see it with the, with, with the real people. Right, well, you know, did you, uh, and they didn't pay you. attention to the plot. They almost didn't care about they it, They didn't Mike. care. So then well, what does know, this got, mean for critics? You know what? You're making such a good point that I'm going to throw this at you, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I agree with you 1,015% about seeing with the intended audience and that thrill. I mean, it's sort of like between listening to music on your iPod and going to a live concert. There's no comparison, <laughs> right. you know? But but I went to a tiny, tiny screening room. There were like four or five other people there with me, maybe six, mm -hmm. okay? So, and, and it was a 20-seat screening room. It was digital arts. So I got the other end of the spectrum where I enjoyed it and a few people chuckled, but I didn't get any of that. Like that was, that's a thrill ride. And my most memorable movie experiences were always with, uh, are, yeah, they're, they're never with critics. They're never, they're never with, with critics. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks, so. man, that we have that bad rap, but I'm starting to become more aware of it because I'm going to more promo screenings ah. because the press screenings sometimes I just can't make. So I ask, the publicist of the studios, and I ask him, hey, is there another screening? They're like, well, I can squeeze you into the promo screening. Uh, and when I go to that, 
Holy moly. Dude, even the curse of La Llorona, I did a fan reaction uh review for that film about maybe three episodes ago for Curse of La Llorona. And basically I said, look, don't listen to me. Right. Listen to the fan reaction, which is the uh, pure way right. of knowing whether a film works or doesn't. Yeah. This is how movie studios do focus groups. The first, yes. I mean, can yes. you explain a little bit about the focus groups? Because that's well, a whole, whole other the, type of screening. Sure. The do. whole concept behind a focus group is this. You know, you show the movie to, again, that target audience, the people who you want to market to, and then you give them a series of questions about the movie. But it's and like the first draft or the first it's edit, like, It's right? like the fir first edit of the movie. They want to know what works, that what doesn't work. They ask you to fill in questions. You know, what did you like this character? Did you like that character? What did you, you know, there, there may be issues that they are concerned how did you feel about this? And from that, that goes then to the director uh, and the editor and then and, and often the producer. And then choices are made because at a certain point, if you spend a lot of money on a movie, you have to satisfy that audience. And as a matter of fact, when you read if you're a film file and you read reshoots, a lot of times those reshoots came because of things that happened in the test screenings, where something they thought was clear is not clear. And they got to put in a scene where the character goes, you know what? The reason the dead are walking, <laughs> <And>, you know, <laughs> because it wasn't clear. So, right. so yes, that, those are focus groups. So I don't know, man, I, I, I can tell you that the movie maybe did lack plot, but, yeah, I but don't you think know what? It I, mattered. I, I, you know what? I'll defer to your review. I'll defer to your review to say that I guarantee you had a better time than I, I did. I had an incredible time watching John Wake. And, and and when I got out of that theater, I said to myself, you know what? This has got to be one of the greatest trilogies, action trilogies of the decade. There's just wow. no buts about it. Every wow. single film, one, two, and three are intriguing as hell. And I look. We should actually just kind of break down why you think people seem to love John oh, Wick could, so much. I could tell you all the reasons why I think this, but you could do. You, you want to start? Or you want me to? No, go for it. All right. Well, I think I think a couple of things, and I think John Wick kind of came at the right time. And and what has happened here with with storytelling, with movies, television. Uh, adaptations is that people they, they found that the more you advance uh, and and expand the universe people are more willing to you know if you like the characters and now you understand the universe you know people will buy it and they'll they're in they're in for the ride so you can have a story this movie i don't even think they could have made a movie that ends as as not abruptly but they literally like guess what? There's going to be another at the end of this movie. <laughs> and it's so, it's not, it would be a lot less satisfying if we weren't used to, uh, you know, the, you know, stories that end, but it's not really over. So I think that's one. Two, I think that the action, the, the it's so much fun. You, 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 when you find out in the original John Wick, why, he was kicking so much ass. <laughs> it was because of his puppy, okay? yeah. It, well, and again, going back to screenwriting, one thing they always tell you about a character, if you want an audience to love a character, no matter how obnoxious you may want to make that character, you know, to be original, you've got to have, and this is a cliche, but they call it, you got to have a scene where he pets the puppy. And <laughs> and petting the puppy is just like, with with a character shows that there's a side of him that is soft. So here you've got this assassin who can take on 50 men, but you know what? Don't fuck with his dog. <laughs> How 
can you not love that character? You oh, by the mean? way, and that whole notion gets a wink in this third part. Oh, absolutely. With the Halle Berry absolutely. character. With the Halle Berry character, with one line. With one one line. line, which, by the right. way, and had the f- had, had the whole room in stitches. Yeah. It fell I, so well, that joke, that everybody, oh, yeah. it was almost like you couldn't hear yourself for like five, ten seconds. Right. That's how of loud course. the laughter was. Well, now you see, that brings in something else where when you understand the universe, and this is one of the things that Marvel's done, you understand the universe, you've seen the other movies, you get the context, now we can have jokes within jokes, we can have in-jokes, everybody's in on the joke, so you're you're all kind of digging. It feels special, it feels communal, it feels feels like... You feel, and here's the thing, you feel like you're part of it. Yeah, you feel like you're part of it. And I think that's the key. And I think then the last thing with Keanu is, I mean, again, you, what you mentioned before, the the idea of the laid back, super cool, like what, you know, who doesn't want to be someone? I, I used to have this joke, right, about like how cool Clint Eastwood is, okay? And 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 I'll, I'll do it. I'll do you my Clint Eastwood impression. I'll do the joke. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do the joke for you. And you've got it now. I, I, as soon as I stop talking, you got to say, uh, as soon as you hear me make a sound, you got to say, Clint, what's wrong? Okay. 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 Clint, what's wrong? Heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) So he's so cool. (laughs) He's so cool. Dude, that just sounded extra cool because of the way you said it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. He's so cool. Like he doesn't, he just grunts when he has a heart attack. So I'm just saying that to say that that's the other, I think, appeal about John Wick is because all kinds of stuff happens. He just remains the same. He gets a little scarred, a little beat up, and he's like, I'm going to still kick your ass. Right. And Um, and so I think that that's, that's my, what's your take? I think that world building is the hottest thing in, in movies right now. And even in television, you know, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And they've really honed it and polished it in part three here on this film. You don't feel it. It's not the center of the film, but the tone of the film and knowing that it has this really cool, sexy, stylish, a uh, very sophisticated, fashionable uh, type of setting makes whatever is happening in terms of the story being driven by these characters, it just makes it that, all that much better. For me, there's three key things, and I think it's, it's, it begins with Keanu. This is the perfect marriage between story and actor, where the story plays to all the strengths of Keanu and none of his weaknesses. So it's almost like a bespoke, custom-made suit, perfect for Keanu Reeves. He has the stunt choreographer that worked with him in Matrix as the director and helping him with the stunts here as well. They take months to do this, and I think it shows, which is the reason that we appreciate it. Number one, Keanu is 54 years old, man. Tom Cruise, just to kind of give you some perspective, 56. So... Anybody in their mid-50s can still pull off some great movies. I thought maybe John um, Keanu Reeves in this particular film was a little slower than, than in the past two. Some people who have seen the last two might pick up on that. But nevertheless, there was two long sequences, man, of just hand-to-hand combat that took a little too long. It was great, though, because you can see how much effort went into Keanu kind of perfecting these stunts. But I think it's his demeanor. He's a man of few words. He's a sympathetic killer, which is hilarious. He's a dog-loving killer, which is even more funny. And they tease a lot of that Matrix reunion. So I, I like 
Keanu in this role better than probably anybody else. The violence, obviously, is uh, the, the center force for the appeal of the film. The action sequences are extremely creative. They really go above and beyond in this particular film. And I think that the underworld mythology, the setting, really, really comes to life in this particular case because the end of the movie takes place in the Continental Hotel. And it really goes all out to kind of just tell you uh, how they've almost perfected the John Wick story. Well, you know, I think everything you said is completely true. And you made me realize that there's another component. And I think that is, you know, bad guys are always more fun than good guys. <laughs> and, and, and the bottom line is this is, a, this is a, a series of films about a stone cold killer. He kills people for money. He may have retired and fallen in love at the beginning of the first film, but he, he kills people for money. And, and this is what he did. He, so he's to some extent amoral. And now, of course, now we all get his motivation. They're trying to kill him. He's, he's self-defense. But, you know, I think that that's part of the appeal. Like the whole idea of somebody that's doing something you could never do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that that's part of the appeal of this character. And I think, like you said, I think you're right. I think Keanu Reeves has got a lock on this ever since The Matrix. He's like, he's that guy. I he's, think even in speed. But you know what? Keanu is also the guy that gets in the subway. He, oh, yeah, I know. I've seen he, those photos, yeah. He's the guy that takes the train here in New York City and doesn't care if people go up to him or not. Usually New Yorkers don't. But usually New Yorkers aren't looking for the celebrity on the train, you know, in the, in the subway system. So he's that guy. And I never really thought that he wanted to get back into the blockbuster game um, and, and invest so much of himself at this age. Usually... People in their 50s that once they've had a career, they kind of just live off of the blockbuster money uh, that they get from these great films like The Matrix, et cetera, et cetera. But for him at this age, at 54, to be investing three, four months to just train for these films has to really take a lot out of him. And I thought he was trying to get away from the commercial films. I thought he was trying to get away from the blockbuster films of the franchises, the sequels, but he's well, like you all know, in on that, man. Well, you know, and I, it's interesting you bring that up too, because I think a couple things, I think that says a lot about him, like you said. I think he's someone who likes to challenge himself. I think he's interested in it. Uh, I'll be honest, I've seen him in a lot of movies where I didn't think he was a very good actor. I've only seen him in a few films where I thought he really could act. I've seen him in films where he was kind of groaningly bad, but I've also seen him when, when like you said, when this, this role is perfect for him fits him like a glove but but i do think you know as opposed to like somebody like a russell crowe who just kind of lets himself go and i'll just play middle-aged characters now uh you know to want to stay in shape into your 50s and 60s you know you know it really does you know whether you're tom cruise or, or liam neeson or or not that stallone you know can't go back and remake well, everything he's doing rambo five now that's what i'm saying so i mean and he's in his 70s so I mean, I, I think there's a lot to be said to people who still want to challenge themselves. You know, even uh, what's his name who does Wolverine said, uh, Hugh Jackman said, you know, the last film was it was a lot harder to do yeah. these exercises, you know, now than it was 15 years ago. Absolutely. So, and it takes a toll on your body, man, for, for that to. much. So the fact that Keanu is giving everything, all that sweat equity, let's just put it this way, to make this 
a franchise that is legitimate and one of the best action franchises in in decades uh really says a lot about how he views the 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 rest of his career and how he views what how he has a really good sense of what the audience wants to see him in which sure. is a form of that like matrix hand to hand combat in a very cool uh mythological tech setting which is kind of yeah. what this has in terms of similarities Definitely. And I think he's into that too. I think he's yeah. into, you know, he's clearly a spiritual dude, you know, and he's into music and he plays that and, and you've interviewed, I've interviewed him and, and, you know, he's, he's like that. Like, he's like talking, he's like, Hey, uh, he's like, Hey, how you doing? Yeah, he's like, he's, really? It's like he's just too fucking just, cool, man. He is the he coolest is, guy. Is. I, I, him, Robert Downey Jr. are on a, a league of their own, man. Yeah, that, that's a pair. I want to see them in a movie. Have, wow. No, no, I think they have, no? What did they do together? What film? That what? movie with Richard Linklater, the one with the, um, it was with the River Rotator, Ro not Rotator, Rotoscope film. Oh, right. Yes, they did. Well, oh, back man, when Downey, yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one you're and talking Keanu about. And Keanu was the star. Yes, Robert yes, Robert Downey yes, was yes, the yes, main maniacal yes. sidekick friend. Oh, Dark Something. Something dark. Something like yeah. that, yeah. I, we'll find out, guys. If not, you just let us know and tweet us uh, what the name of that movie was. But Mike Sargent, you can catch him on WBAI, Fox Business News, and the PBS. John Wick 3 comes out this Friday, starring Keanu Reeves. Don't miss it. We love it. And that's it for episode 115 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Michael Malone and Mike Sargent for coming on the show. And if you'd like to support the show, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and my Facebook page, Jack Rico 40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.